From Like to Know It, this is Influencer Radio, a show about the influencer industry. This season, we sit down with some of the world's most successful influencers to unpack their unique life adventures and the digital businesses they built. I'm your host, Amber Vinsbox. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Cynthia Andrew, who you might know as Simply Sin, the fabulous style and travel influencer based in New York City. She's known for her bright, vibrant colorways and gorgeous travel content. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Cynthia has her master's in media management as well as her JD and still practices law as a full-time attorney. In this episode, we get to learn more about her journey of becoming a content creator from heading to college at the age of 16, balancing a demanding role as an attorney and still finding time to produce unique, engaging content. She grew up in West Africa, which shaped her worldview. And we're so happy to have her here today with us. Thank you for joining us, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Africa. What was that like? I was born in Maryland, in Silver Spring, Maryland, and moved back to Cameroon when I was about four. Um, I don't have too many clear memories of that, but what I do have memories of are like being in boarding school with, uh, with my friends um, and really just a very, I don't want to say simple, but it was just a little less complicated. There really wasn't much social media and uh, I didn't really watch TV, but I remember just spending a lot of actual time and like, I actually went to a relatively small school. We were probably about 25 in my class, so we were really, really close. And I'm talking about primary school now. So in primary school, we're about 25. We still kind of like check on each other on Facebook, that sort of thing. Um, by the time I made it to what we call secondary school in Cameroon, uh, the classes probably got a little smaller to about 20 because I went to a private Catholic boarding school. So. You started in Maryland, moved to Africa. What's different about being raised in Africa versus being raised in Maryland? Like, how would how would your parents approach that differently? Uh, I think it's just culture. I mean, there's culturally there there are certain differences, and I would say one of the main things is that the family is bigger. And I so basically here in the U.S., everyone is so far away. You don't really get to see each other. And usually when you say family, you're talking about like your parents, your siblings. Um, in Cameroon, when I say family, I'm talking about maybe 200 people. That's like every cousin, second cousin, third cousin, nephew, niece, aunt, uncle, grandparent. And we all sometimes either live very close to each other or even live in the same house. Um, so family is much bigger and everyone has such a role in like your upbringing. So that was beautiful. And I do miss aspects of that. So you moved back to the States when? I was about 14 that I moved back. And by age 16, my mom was like, you know what? Just take the SATs. You may be able to do well and you could just go to college. And so I did that. I did so well. So at 14, you started prepping for the SATs no, or when? At 14, there was no real plan. But like I would say by the time I was 15, late 15. So the equivalent was um, they call it Form 5 in Cameroon because um, Cameroon follows the British school system. And so you take your O levels, which is like your ordinary levels. Um, and then normally you would go to lower six, upper six, which is the equivalent of the 11th and 12th grade. So my mom said, uh you don't really need 11th and 12th grade. Just take the SATs and see if you can do well. And then, yeah, so I did that, and then I started college. Were your parents 
like geniuses or they just no. thought you were like Doogie Howser? No, no, this was by no means a sign of being a genius. I think my mom was like, let's just rush this process. I don't, I don't let's know. move things along think, here. No, actually, to be fair, a few of her, of my uh, cousins or some other people in the family had done the same thing. And so my mom said, why not? You know, she's like, if you can get into college and move faster, great. So it wasn't because I, de- I was not the smartest in my class, but I was doing, you know, well, and I liked to study. So she said, try, and I did. So you took the SATs, and then where did you apply? Where'd, what'd you do? Oh, so I took the SATs, and again, I, I was in Long Island at this time. So this is like my history with New York State, New York City. So my first history with New York was moving to Long Island with my cousins. And after I took the SATs, they told me, hey, you have a few options of universities out here in Long Island. So I went to Stony Brook University, which is out in Long Island. And honestly, I have to admit, there's some perks to going to college early, but there's also some downsides. I was a little bit, you know, not as mature, very reserved. I lacked self-confidence in many ways. So I spent a lot of my time just like by myself. Um, it wasn't until towards the end of my college experience that I really started to get to know people, put myself out there and like, just, you know, but it was a bit tricky in the beginning. Gosh, I'm trying to think through life experiences I was having as a 16 year old and then versus what people are having as an 18 or 19 year old. And those are big development years. Yeah. It's very different in terms of interest. What people were talking about, I felt a lot of the reason I was reserved is I just wasn't ready for some of the conversations. Um, I didn't want people to actually know that I was younger. So I would often just not bring it up. Um, even those who were my friends, I would never talk about my birthday because I didn't want them to know that I was younger. Uh, I remember when everyone was turning 21 that was a big deal and I just made up something so I wouldn't have to like go out um because everybody was trying to go to the club because it was like yay we're finally 21 we're gonna drink and I was like yeah but I'm still 19 so (laughs) so I'm not (laughs) yeah so I'm not um but yeah it was interesting I'm happy I had those experiences though do you think that that's molded the person that you are? Or how has that changed the way the way that you approach the world? Um, I think what happened is because I wasn't doing, I was observing a lot. So I was watching a lot and I was listening. Uh, and sometimes you learn a lot when you're the quiet person in the room. Um, and I often was the quiet person in the room. Um, I learned a lot about people's personalities, behaviors. Um, I think I, I got a good sense of how to read people. And that has helped me so much in terms of even being a lawyer and how I address people when I walk into a room. Um, so that was definitely helpful. Growing up, I was a very um, calm and quiet and observant child. And my mom would always say, you know, smooth waters run deep. And that was like her way, I think, of making me feel confident, even though people are like, why is she shy or why is she quiet? And there's a lot going on when somebody's quiet. And I've learned that even in adulthood in the business world, um, oftentimes those who aren't speaking are, could be the most intelligent person in the room. I've actually learned that. And sometimes people who are speaking too much don't really have much to <laughs> don't say. Don't have the information. But yeah, so I try to speak to folks. And I think even um, I would say, for example, at just throughout my career and moving up and hiring and and getting to a place. Very recently, we were interviewing a few candidates and we had a candidate that was very quiet and reserved. And everybody thought that that was points against her. They're like, we need someone who's assertive, assertive. I was like, yeah, but you're not you're not listening. She's got, she's really smart. And she took the time to listen to us. And I think everybody else was so busy kind of talking (laughs) and hyping themselves up. 
um, I actually really respected that she was listening. And when we had a follow-up conversation, it was clear that she really was listening. So there's definitely benefits to being the quiet one in the room sometimes. So you went to college. Yes. And then did, like, what happened next? What did you decide to go do? Oh, uh, well, college, I was... I was a little lost. Um, I was a pharmacy technician because I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. Then I hit organic chemistry. Like I ran into organic chemistry. It was clear that I was not going to make it beyond that. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I need to, what am I doing? This is not working out. Um, and so as soon as that happened, I took, I decided to go study abroad in Paris. And that was great also because, in fact, that was the beginning of me opening up to people, opening up to the world. Um, I had the best um, study abroad mates. They came from, our program was great because everyone was from actually different universities. And um, I spoke to them. I learned what everybody was doing. I took some political science classes. I took some film classes. I just got to try a bunch of different things. And by the time I came back, I was pre-law. And so I took the rest of my courses and applied to law school. So you went from essentially the doctor path to the lawyer path. Do, I mean, in, the, in America, you you know, parents encourage their children to, hey, you know, what are the ways to guaranteed success? And it's like be a doctor or a lawyer. Was that the way that you were thinking about it? Pretty much. Uh, my father is a, is a lawyer. Um, he, great standards. I mean, he went to Yale. He'd done really well. And, you know, so it was almost like, oh, God, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this right. Um, my, my mom had her MBA. She's a businesswoman. So my sister did the same. She got her MBA. So there was always this pressure. And additionally, I would say, even though I was, I still have, um, because I grew up in Cameroon, while I'm not technically an immigrant, cause I was born in the U S I have a immigrant, uh, culture and mentality because of where I grew up. And so there is always this feeling of you have to take work extra hard, not take anything for granted. And it was clear to me from the beginning that I, I had to do something. It was, you couldn't just go to school to go to school. You had to have goals and you had to be focused and it had to be something with some guarantee of, you know, being able to take care of the next person. Cause really that's what it is. I think another difference I would say culturally and not to say one is better or anything like that, but I would say what's brilliant about American culture is live your life for you and it's great. And I think that's so important and sometimes people lose that. And I would say what, what was important in African culture was live your life, but you're kind of thinking about the person coming behind you. So your younger siblings and cousins and nephews and distant relatives, and even the older ones, when they retire, they rely on you. So I kind of love that I have both aspects. I, I have part of my brain that is remember that you are most important and remember to take care of yourself and do things that make you happy. And at the same time, I also have the other part of my brain that is remember those you've left behind and remember those that you can help. And so I, I've always had both of those things pushing me uh, to work hard. That's a beautiful part of your culture. So your mom has her MBA. Yes. I don't meet many moms with their MBAs. Yes. What did she do with that? Uh, she, when she was in the U.S., which is when I was born, she worked at the World Bank. Um, and then when she left, she went to Cameroon and the equivalent, I don't know if they have Con Ed everywhere, like the power energy company. Uh, she did their, she was like some in their financial department. I don't really know what her title was, but I know she was one of, especially in when she went back, she was one of the only women in her like department um, doing what she did. And she didn't just go back. She went back and she had to learn French. 
because uh, my mom is from the English-speaking part of Cameroon. Cameroon is a bilingual country, but it's really 80% French, 20% English. So she went back, and um, she'd grown up in a small part of the country where she only spoke English. But when she went back with us, her kids, and she needed a job, she went back to school, learned French, put us in French school. So um, as a mom, she's going to school and learning a new language to take to, care of you guys. Exactly. Because So long story short, my parents got divorced, and that's why she went back to Cameroon. My dad stayed in the U.S., um, and, you know, it, it was a tough and... No blaming or anything. Divorce is tricky for everybody. Um, I'm happy that later my father and I got to have like a much better relationship. But I would say earlier on, a lot of it felt, you know, like my mom was a single mom in many ways. And that was that was a bit hard. So obviously a very brilliant woman. You, though, have such creativity, you know, from from the photos that they're being taken, the way they're being edited, and the way that you're dressing. Like, where does that come from? Oh, I got it from my mama. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I really think I do. My mom, oh my God, my mom's always loved, she's loved fashion and beauty and her hair. Um, again, just to set the stage, this is, Cameron is still very much more of a traditional patriarchal society. And I'm talking about not, this is today. It still very much is. So you have a professional young woman who goes back to Cameroon with two young children a single mother, um, working, trying to date, like it's, it's tough. And I remember I would spend so much time in my mom's room. She'll be getting dressed, playing with her jewelry. She'll be doing her makeup and her hair, her clothes. My mom loved, loves, why am I saying loved? Like she loves, um, clothes and everything. And she loved beautiful things and she made her, our home beautiful. Um, she really, their Cameroon is, you know, unfortunately it's imperfect. It's, you know, it's got great things, but there's some parts of it that, that are tough. There's poverty, there's struggle, but my mom made really like a little haven for us. Like in our home, we were like in heaven. I remember friends would visit and like, oh my God, like, you know, she would have flowers and it was pretty. And it was just, she always said that you should do and things that just make you feel good. Make your space beautiful. You'll feel good. She had a beautiful garden. You know, we would change our throw pillows, stuff that a lot of other families didn't really take the time to do. And so, yeah, so I've been surrounded by just, you know, all of that from young. Yeah, beauty. Oh, and I forgot. And she had a business where she, um, my mom never had just one job. So even though she had her job, she had a business called, um, I can't even say the name anymore, but it was basically a combination of all our names. Um, and they would sew dresses. And so we had like a little sewing boutique and folks would come through a catalog and we had tailors and they would sew outfits. So yeah, even when we graduated from uh, primary school, she was responsible for getting all of us like what we wore. Um, so yeah. So it's, yeah, in your blood. It's in the blood. Got from my mama. So you, you are, you're living in the U.S., you've graduated from college, you're an attorney. Yes. What's like happening in your life at that point? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long was, ago. No, no, but I'm just saying it's not that I don't remember. Yeah. It's just I remember getting out of law school and still feeling lost. I think a lot of times you think once I choose a path, then, you know, it will be clear uh, but I did, and I graduated, and I did not feel accomplished, fulfilled. It just felt a little blah. And, and that's why it all became a little bit of a blur. I went through the motions. I would get up. I went to work. I prepped cases, and I 
You know, I started doing litigation. I'll be in court. And yet, when I think back to all of that, I was literally just moving through it, but not taking any of it in. I don't even remember. It's, it's blur. Um, and I think that was, it took a while for me to admit, and my husband was amazing. He was the one who's like, you are not happy, and you're complaining, and it's not fun being around someone who's a little mopey, a little complain. you know, it's not fun. And he's like, you need to find a way to do things that make you happy. You know, you have time. He's like, go to work, after work, what do you do with your time? Weekends, what do you do with your time? Find a way to do things that, you know, make you feel better. And so I said, okay, I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> Someone give me the uh, answer. Someone, like, it's so easy to say, do things that make you happy. And you're like, oh, God, but I'm tired. I was in corridor. Like, I'm tired. I've been reading. I, I don't, you know? Well, that's so, an amazing call out, I think, because yeah. a lot of times when people get in a rut, there's this feeling of exhaustion. And it's really actually probably a layer of depression that just makes you feel like you are too tired to do the thing. And it's, and it's tough because then you have to force yourself to get out of it to not be tired anymore. And really it's when you're, when you're most active. That's exactly it. It's like you have this feeling of fatigue and you're walking around just kind of heavy. And it's usually some kind of a form of depression because I mean, at the end of it, you're not happy. Um, so it started with me searching. Honestly, I think I remember even picking up a paintbrush. I'm like, maybe I should paint. I mean, I was looking for outlets. I was like, what can I do that I will find interesting? I started one of three now defunct blogs. I don't even, I started one that was like African Girl in New York City, Africana. I started. So you like would buy the URL, yes. set these sites up. Yes. And I remember it was Blogspot. Is that the yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Blogspot. Yeah, that yeah. Google owned Blogspot. <laughs> yeah. Blogspot. And it was, it was an easy way to get yes, set up. That and Tumblr were like yes. the easiest. So I did the Blogspot and um, did not really, you know, again, if you care about something, you'll have the fire to continue. And when things would fall apart, I'm like, maybe I'm not, that's not really it. And then I found myself, um, over the course of preparing for my wedding, I discovered this cute little site called Etsy. It's not so little. Um, but what I really liked about it was actually the stories behind the shops. So not necessarily, I mean, I, I still love everything on there. I, I, my wedding was filled with items from Etsy, from my veil to my favors, to my decor, to my tape, everything. So, but what I thought was most interesting was, wow, these are... You know, every shop usually has about the owner or about the shop. And I would read about these, a lot of times, women um, starting their businesses. And they were like, oh, I make my soaps here, or I make my candles, or I make my jewelry, or I'm into vintage clothing. And I loved those stories because I was inspired by those stories. I think in some way they reminded me of, like, like my mom who's, you know, working but doing something else that makes you, you know, I was like, oh, let me, so I started the blog, it was called Addicted to Etsy, and usually it would be a feature, it would be a feature of a shop with an interview, I would interview the shop owner, and then every now and then, like maybe every month or so, I would do a giveaway uh, with that shop, and so I would get, you know, readers, hey, read, I think the shop is great, and so I did that for, that was pretty much my concept for a solid Maybe three years, I was very, you know, on that. So when did you start the Etsy blog? So that was in 2009. 2009, okay. I started the Etsy blog. And so for three years, you tracked Etsy sellers. I really did. To the point, I don't know if I should say this on record, to the point that Etsy emailed me like, you're sending spam to our No! Folks. Yes. And they're like, um you can't send spam. I'm like, no, I'm trying to gauge interest. I didn't know how else to reach 
to them. So usually when there's a shop, it's like send a message. Oh yeah. And so I would send and I would say, Oh, I want to feature you and I want to do a story. And I don't know if someone complained. Etsy sent me an email. It was like, like a bot that this yes, girl's sitting yeah, the same they're message. Like, they're, you're spamming us. I was like, Oh my God. But guess what? Like not too long after. This is amazing. I got to actually work with... This was with, before. I mean, like, like let's yes. qualify this. So Etsy was yeah. early. Early, yeah. And when you're doing this, this is before blogging was a household, mm-hmm. like, uh, it wasn't part of our common vernacular at this that point. Like, the word ago. blog yeah. wasn't even... If you told someone it was a blog, they would say, what does a blog mean? What does a blog mean? This yeah. is 10 years ago. So I think sometimes people are like, oh, you're doing so great. I was like, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> so, okay, so you're... I'm going to... I mean... Gently, yeah. you're, st- you're stalking Etsy sellers. Yes. Did you want to be an Etsy seller? No, I didn't. I, I think, honestly, what I was looking for was inspiration. And I think that coming from having only done a traditional career, the concept of an entrepreneur or someone saying, I'm going to be my own boss, I'm going to create something that's mine, I just found that really inspiring. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was daring. I thought it was brave. I thought it was something I could never do. Um, And so those stories, I just wanted to keep sharing them. That's why I never just did, oh, this is a, you know, I could have just done like collages about Etsy, but instead I realized that I always liked the story behind. And so I wanted to do features and stories and ask questions and understand how, but how do you do this? Like, wait, you have kids and you have a job. So how are you? Oh, I I do it in my living room. Oh, I'm finally at a spot where I've rented out a space. Oh, I, you know, like there's so many amazing stories and there's even, it's so funny because, um, she's like massive now. I don't know if you know Moraya, Moraya Seal. I may not be saying it right. Yes. You know, she was, I was one of her initial Etsy stalkers and to see the evolution from like the little, you know, Etsy shop to when she moved to her own website and she still had a few items on Etsy fully on her site, opened the location, bigger look. I mean, the books, the 52 list, like all this stuff is like the history. The, you just see what hard work like and like dedication. What, what oh, she's comes a fantastic out of it. story. She's an amazing story. So, yeah. So at this time, like how often are you doing these stories? Oh, my God. I don't know if I was sleeping. It was um, it would take a lot to actually get someone to respond to my spam. So um, I think my features were supposed to be once a week, but I probably averaged like twice a month. Okay. Um, yeah, I was pushing to get them out more but sometimes you know people are busy they'll say yes it will take a while to get the responses back then I would want to do photos you know they'll send me photos so it was like all this back and forth and this is a pure passion project like there's not a way to make money talking about zero dollars okay zero like (laughs) honestly it was actually negative because a few people offered items for a giveaway but often I would pay for them so I would buy the items myself because I didn't think it was fair. Like I, I reached out, yeah. you know, and now I'm going to reach out and say, oh, and then, you know, and give so me something, give me something. So no. Do you yeah. do giveaways on your site today? No, I unfortunately don't do giveaways. Not because I don't like doing them. It's just been so busy. Uh, I'm more prone to quickly doing like a Insta story giveaway because a lot of times I will have like cool, cute stuff and I'll say, hey, First person who sends me a message, it's yours. Because, yeah. Um, apologies to anyone outside the continental U.S. I don't <laughs> ship. <laughs> so I hardly ever ship internationally because yeah. I did that one time and I was like, oh, oh my oh, God, I a... might as well have just sent you money. This is... <laughs> yeah, it would have been easier. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Etsy blog was blog yeah. number three? Yes. Okay. I, yeah, blog number three was addicted to Etsy. And I think 
I think if you Google it, it's still there in some form. But then, um, so when did you lean into Simply Sin? Simply Sin. So now, okay, so three years ago. So what is that word? I would say 2016. Yeah, so so 2009 to about 2015, 2016, I'm doing this Addicted to Etsy, featuring shops, you know. And at this point, I start to see a change. The first change was, girl, why are you not using Instagram? Because I really wasn't. I was actually kind of late to Instagram um, in terms of, I think I was on it, but I was on it the way you are on Facebook, just casually, um, but not like, oh, this is a model that I could... And then another thing was my husband started taking photos of me. He's like, you know, people want to know who you are. So I started posting on, while addicted to Etsy, I would post like outfit pictures and stuff, usually as buffer for the Etsy content. So he was the one saying like, let's put pictures of you online. Yes. Because at first I would dress up in clothes I got from Etsy, a lot of like vintage clothing or just cute stuff from a store, bags. So I would purchase the items, want to feature them. It's like, oh, instead of just showing pictures from the site, you know, it would be nicer, you know, you wear it, people could really see how, so I would wear them, take pictures, and that's where, like, the fashion angle started to, to develop, because prior to that, it really wasn't about me, it was about other people, and then I started posting about myself, and people started asking questions, and then I realized, oh, people are interested, and so I would share not just what I was wearing, but I would share what I wore when I traveled, then people started asking me questions about traveling. So I started writing more about traveling because I love to do that. Um, and it was such a natural, unplanned evolution that one day I woke up and I said, hmm, you know, addicted to Etsy, that's not me. Like, I'm more, you know, I'm more than that. I'm, I'm Cynthia. I'm more than addicted to Etsy. I'm more than addicted to Etsy. I'm not just an, and then also my husband, I don't know. Like, I feel like a few people never really liked the, the addicted word just sounded a bit like, you know, off-putting oh, to but some like, people. Addicted and obsessed. Like those were words we were yes, using yes. at that time. At that time. But then it was just like, eh, you know, and then honest, I spent a long time trying to find a name. I thought of so many things. I shared it with my friends and I can't even remember what they were, but they were all silly. And then well, I It's chose... like they say, like, you know, your poor name's like your street plus your dog yes. or something. Oh, I did all of that. Yeah. I did the blogger that. name I is like did. some version of that with a color. Yeah. <laughs> or the worst one was I would do it and I was like, that sounds really great. And then somebody already had it. There were a lot that people already had that I thought were cool. Um, but the one thing I had was my email, like a Gmail, like Oh, yeah. simply, I'd always been Simply Sin. So for years, prior to blogging or anything, I'd just always been Simply Sin to like my friends and people who knew me. I would sign off like Simply Sin. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I really can't. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to go with Simply Sin and that's it. So something I think is really interesting about your story is your version of the Insta husband, I'm going to call it. Yes. And so, I mean, I think that it was he sounds wildly supportive and like very in love with you. And not that that's like shocking you're married, but that's not always the way it goes down. Right. And so he's the one saying, Hey, I want you to have something that you love and are passionate about. And like, Hey, I think people would like to see who you are. I mean, he sounds like an incredible guy. Where did you meet him? On the street. <laughs> <laughs> I no. met him. Yeah. New York. Um, I was walking to class. So last year of law school, very last year of law school, running late to class. That was not the norm. I tried to be on time. I was running late to class, got off the end train at, I remember exactly, it was 57th and 7th. Um, and I'm walking up uh, right by the park. 
and because uh, I went to Fordham Law School, so that's right by Columbus Circle. And this guy comes up kind of like behind me and says, excuse me, excuse me. And I turn around and I don't talk to guys on the street. Like, I don't know you. So I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh, wait, do you go to Fordham? And I was like, oh, maybe he's in one of my classes. I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, oh, he's like, he went, I go to Fordham too. I was like, oh, I'm at the law school. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm at the business school. Um, And yeah. And so, and he worked at Fordham uh, for that matter also. Yeah. So we just started chatting and it was very casual when we, we met. It was just like, Hey, it's kind of cool. Somebody else that goes to my school. But I found out months after when we were dating that he had seen me two years prior. So like in my first year of law school and he's like, he'd seen me a few times in the cafeteria and kind of wondered like, who's that? But he never spoke to me and I'm really pissed off because if we, <laughs> you wasted time in my life. Yes, because if we'd like met sooner, more importantly, because he worked at Fordham, yeah. law school would have been free. Oh. <laughs> Student loans. Are you kidding me? So yeah. yeah, I had to make him pay for that. And that was part of why I went back to school and got my master's in media management because I was like, I'm getting something out of this deal. That's amazing, Cynthia. Oh, my God. Okay, so so did you work during school? Because you, you I mean, I think most of America is like, yes, student loans. What is this? Oh, my God, student loans. Uh, I did not work for the first two years of law school. I wouldn't recommend it unless you're doing evening. It's so intense. It's so if you're committing to do it, do it right. Give it your all. Uh, But within my third year, actually, towards the end of my second year, I um, did clinics, um, and so I did an immigration rights clinic, um, and so it's not, you, you get paid like minimum, it's kind of like a stipend, um, and you work on actual cases, so it was related to, it's managed by like a law school professor, and you get actual clients, and you do like the whole process of helping them with their cases, so that was great. To jump back to the student loan and working at Forum, do you think they still do that? Like if you, are, I'm, oh, gonna, yeah, I'm just going to say there's a strategy yes, here, yes, guys. They do. There is strategy. If you meet <laughs> someone who's working at a school, find out if they have spouses and children, go free. Because that's that would have saved me a lot. It's like six figures. Yeah, no, that's a great. You, I mean, so yes. tactic here, walk yes. around Fordham. Walk around Fordham or any school of choice and find yourself someone who's on the admin or faculty. <laughs> okay, so you're one of the only women I've met, too, who is a full-time attorney. Yeah. And also a successful influencer. So how are you doing that? Um, I think the key to anything is to not overthink it and just do. So when I think about it, or if I think about my to-do list, or I think about everything, I can easily get overwhelmed. But if I just go through it, okay, I got up, I went to work, I went to my meetings, took a minute, checked my emails, responded, planned my post. If you plan all your posts in advance, get off work, you know, take a minute for myself, get back on the computer. I actually, it just flows. But I think the moment where I sit, I'm like, oh, but tomorrow I have to do this, then I have to do that. It could be overwhelming. And to be fair, I mean, there's, I don't have any kids. So just, I don't have kids. I have friends who do. There's a lot of people who find a way to juggle all these things. I think if you just look at your day, you just have to be very disciplined. There's no other way, at least for me, there's no way to be um, to be effective without having structure, having a plan, and just going through each thing that I need to do. And I think right now I've also, because I've been doing it for so long, I developed kind of like an automatic system where I know 
7 a.m. This is what I'm doing. 8 a.m. This is what I'm doing. So I know pretty much every hour what I'm doing. And I have to have to give a lot of, I mean, a lot of credit to my husband who's been not just a support, but taking pictures, but he would help with editing, help with posting if I need. For example, if I'm stuck at a crazy meeting and I really needed to post something, I can rely on him to get it up. You it's know, actually really impressive. Which is really, really impressive. Um, and he's really had to help me out uh, a few times with stuff like that. Um, and sometimes if I can't, you know, get on an email, he will just flag the ones that are important. So I don't have to go through every single one. He'll so be he's like, he's really your teammate. He's my, we're, we're like partners in this business. You know, it, we didn't, we didn't think about it that way. We thought we were just life partners and now we're like, you know, all, you know, business partners and everything else. So that's great. So you started Simply Sin, you started documenting your travel and your outfits. And then when did you start thinking about this becoming a, either a supplementary or even maybe your primary income? Money. Whoa. When did I think <laughs> about money? When it, you know, honestly, this, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I, I thought the only people initially that were making money were like mega influencers and that the rest of us, if you got a freebie, yay, you know, if you got a discount, yay, but no one was really going to pay for this because you see, this is the problem when you don't see the value in what you're doing. Um, and it took a while. I think really the trigger for me in terms of realizing you know, what I could do here was, I think I'd, I'd been pitching myself, but this was just because I wanted to work with brands on travel. You know, I'd pitched and someone came back and I think they assumed that there would be money and they started talking money. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm not ready for this. I didn't know this, could, this was, whoa, what does that mean? And then um, shortly thereafter, I think because I was traveling so much, there was a brand that wanted a combination of their product in the context of travel. They said, what is your number? And I said, well, you give me your number. Because at this point, I didn't know what the numbers were. And I'm right. so happy that I said, you give me a number. Because I promise you, I was going to go back with like $500. And they came back with five figures. That remains one of like my biggest surprises in terms of a deal. And once that happened, I was like, wait. If they're willing and able to pay that, what's going on here? I was like, girl, you need to clean up your act. Get your site. Get <laughs> Let's everything get serious. Neat. Go clean up that Instagram feed. You're going to be working with people. This is amazing. Yes, you've been, you've been advertising all this time. You've been sharing in a very organic way. I never thought of what I was doing with Etsy as advertising. I just thought of it as sharing things I liked. And people were able to connect with that. And so here I was like okay, this is great. I could do this. So knowing what you know now, if you were going to start your influencer business today, mm -hmm. how would you do that? I would first make sure that I like, not like, love mm -hmm. what, what I'm talking about, what I'm putting out there. So many times I have folks send me emails like, oh, I want to be an influencer. I want to be a blogger. Where do I start? And I was like, what do you want to say? What's your story? What do you want to share? You start from there. You make sure that you do it as well as you can. Get your skills right. Get your blog right. It's important because that's what the world is going to see. So you do have to make it look professional. It has to look like you care. It has to look like you're invested. No one's going to invest in you if they don't think you've invested in yourself, your platform, the way everything looks. So you do that. And I promise you the stuff will come. 
But if you're starting from, I need to work with the brands, you've already lost. Like you have to have your story and those brands will have to see how they naturally fit into your, into your story instead of the other way around. So now with Instagram, we have this instant feedback, right? And so we're able to see almost immediately if people like or engage with the content that we're putting out into the, the world, pressure. the pressure. And so do you think that consumers today are sniffing out authenticity? What do you think it is that is making some posts for a lot of influencers wildly successful and then the next one having a very limited reach? I wish we all knew the secret to the algorithm, but I will say that as long as for me, I've seen the ups and the downs and all of that. And as some of that is truly content related. I mean, there's some, you know, I would post maybe a picture in a narrative that maybe even I didn't feel too connected to. And I would understand the response because, you know, I was like, it wasn't a strong one. You know, I could do better. Uh, remember, when you're, you're creative, you're creating something and not everything will hit. It's like, you know, musicians, they make music. Not every song is a hit. You know, movies get released. Not every movie is a hit. You have to think about that each piece of content you're delivering, you know, you may be more passionate about some than others and people will connect to some more than others. Sometimes I get surprised by what people connect with. I will say something that just is so basic to me and someone will say, I needed to hear that today. I needed to see this color on my feet today. I mm. needed yellow, like just little yeah. things that people connect with. And so it's a conversation. And I think if you start to, to care too much about every word, every photo out your mouth being treated like, gold, you know, then it might, it's a bit, you've put too much pressure on yourself. So I just try to work on delivering what feels real to me. And when I work with a brand, I always try to have conversations that it has to be real. I would say things like, let me try it out for a little bit. If I'm working with a fashion brand, let me pick what I wear. Because sometimes they'll be like, oh, we want you to wear this. I was like, you know what, it'll be better if I had a chance to look at what you have. I'll pick something that that's me. And that's a much better way to, you know, to collaborate. So, you know, Instagram, <laughs> basically, it's nice to get that feedback, but I try not to let it control too much of what I do. You also have to somewhat trust yourself because Instagram will have you questioning yourself when you, when you put, when you're like, this is a masterpiece, no likes, what's going on? No likes, you know, you can't, you know, you just, you can't let, let that happen to yourself. You just have to. On to the next one. You can be an emotional vampire if you allow your value to be tied to an engagement metric. Yes. If you, oh my God, you will. And I think we all have those moments. We know better, but we all have those moments where we're like, but this is amazing. I spent five hours. I climbed to the like, you know, people are now daring each other, now doing taking imagery in all corners and angles. And please be safe out there, whatever you're doing. <laughs> I know we want to have, you know, cool imagery. Um, but yeah, and then I do all of that and guess which picture people connect with the most literally around my corner standing like on my block. And someone's like, where is that? I'm like, that's my block. That's my corner. That's my corner. Yeah. You know, I drove like six hours the other day to get the other shot and none of you said anything. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting too. I think how consumers are starting to engage more with those things that actually feel like they're like, it's like a real part of your yeah, life, you know, like, that rather than yeah. the, the produced content. I mean, after a certain amount of time, to be honest, after a certain amount of time, if you have authentic conversations and a like real relationship with your readers and followers, they really care about you. And when they're invested in you, they, they're with you, you know, so you don't necessarily need 
the most expensive outfit, the most glam location. You just need to be able to share a story with them. Most people are on Instagram, not just for not just for an image, but a lot of times it's for a story and they want to feel something. They want to feel inspired. They want to see something beautiful. They want to hear a story. They want to laugh. They want to cry. People are on there for all those reasons. So if you can give them something that's honestly you, they're, they're connecting with you, not not the bag or the purse or you know, right. Although they're nice too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your images are yeah. over the top beautiful. Oh, thank um, you. Three tips yes. for shooting great photos. Oh, man. Wow. You know, I feel like I'm cheating here. My Insta husband photographer. <laughs> but I will say what works for me. And I think everyone, you kind of have to figure out what works for you. Once you know, like for me, I just love color and that's reflected in how I often dress. And so usually for me, there will be an element of color in my photo. Um, I love natural light. I usually only, I prefer to shoot natural light only. I recommend natural light if you can. Direct sunlight can be a bit harsh. Um, And uh, I don't know, make sure like you come across like in your... I think it's it's nice when someone can look at a photo and feel like they're connecting with you. It may not be in every image. I remember there was um there was a blogger that was so great but she would never show her face. I don't know if you you know, and I think that those are if you can do that good for you, but I know that people started saying I really wish I knew a little bit. Who are you? Batman. Who are you? Like, who are you? (laughs) And for me, often that would be that while I could do like badass poses, almost every now and then I have to have like a big smile just to remind people like, hey guys, like this is me. Like, you know, and I think it it brings people in. So, but uh, you do not need an expensive camera. That's, I could tell you what you don't need. You don't need an expensive camera. Your phone probably has a camera that can do a lot of what you need. Um, you probably should learn how to use some, um, software. I don't want to plug anyone in particular, but I mean, I use Snapseed. I use Lightroom on mobile. I really think that they help a photo just look a little bit cleaner and more professional. There's a difference between a raw image and an image where you've just like worked it up a little. Um, and if you like presets, a lot of people love presets. I don't use presets, but you know, if you feel like you can't figure it out, do some research. There's a make lot it of great, you make it. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? There's a lot of great people out there who've, you know, packaged some presets, do the research. If you can do it, there's something that's going to help you do it. And what's next for Simply Sin? Very, str- I'm going on, a, it's going to be interesting. We've talked so much about me juggling, you know, work and this, and I'm officially, oh my God, it's scary. I'm taking a leave. I'm not, I'm taking a leave for the first time. I'm actually going to take a leave from my job to do Simply Sin full-time, just to see, because there's, there's there's so much that, while I have been doing it, and I'm so grateful for the followers and the success I've had so far, I feel like, you know, there's some limits because I've always had to split it with office time. You know, I've had office time, there's been opportunities I've said no to, travel I've said no to, things like this that normally, this is a Friday, like everybody else is at the <laughs> office right now. So, um, you know, I had to, again, tell my boss, okay, I'm off Friday. So it's sometimes limiting, especially when you see your trajectory and you realize that there's, you know, you've actually, you were able to prove your the business side. You need to watch your money, watch your dollars, do the math, make sure it makes sense. So it does make sense for me financially to take a leave from my job to see what else I could do with Simply Sin. So I'm doing that starting this summer. 
This is so exciting. And and where can we follow you? Where are all the places we can oh find you? Oh my God. The two places I really like people to follow me on. Instagram, of course, first of all. And that's just Instagram.com. Simply Sin. S-I-M-P-L-Y-C-Y-N. So some people are like, Simply Sin? Like, it's a sin? S- no. C-Y-N for Cynthia. Okay. And then my blog is also just simplysin.com. So those two places will lead you to all the other places I'm on. I'm a little bit on Twitter. I'm a little bit on Facebook. Um, but if you really want to get like the, the hottest things I'm talking about around travel, fashion, and just general, you know, beauty, all that stuff, it would be on Instagram or on my blog. Yeah. And how yeah. frequently can we find you in the Like to Know It app? Oh my God. Pretty much weekly. How can I forget? <laughs> I'm like forgetting my main place. Yeah. You could find me on that. Yeah, but most of the time, um, my outfits will be on Like To Know It. And actually, there's times when my outfits are not on Instagram. They're on my blog. Um, and I have, like, shop the post and all of that. So that is also um, on Like To Know It. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It's yeah. been so nice to have you in Dallas. I'm excited to spend the weekend with you. I'm excited. Yay. Thank you for listening to Like to Know It Influencer Radio. Follow Cynthia for her colorful style and worldwide travels in the Like to Know It app at Simply Sin. That's C-Y-N. The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results all in the context of the lives of real, influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to Know What Product Search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.